Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in New York with Portland Trailblazers guard CJ McCollum. So we're completing a home and home series here. We did the pull up podcast with CJ McCollum earlier. Now, welcome into the Woj Pod, CJ. I appreciate you having me on, man. It's an honor and a privilege. Well, thank you. So USA basketball starts their national team camp in Vegas today, CJ. You were on the roster. Damon Lillard, James Harden, Anthony Davis. And now the roster looks very different. A lot of the established players in the league have pulled out of it. Why did everyone bail this summer? I think it was a combination of things. Um, for me, more specifically looking at the, the previous season, how long it was. I had the popliteus uh, strain in my leg. Went through that rehab phase. I had to get ready for the playoffs. And then looking at what I wanted to accomplish this summer, looking at you know, what we could possibly do next season as a team. I just felt like it was in my best um, to not do it. And I talked to Neil. I talked to Sam. I kind of figured out my training schedule by speaking to our strength and conditioning staff on how I normally tailor my schedule, how I normally you know plan it in terms of trying to peak at a certain time, trying to be in game shape at a certain time. I would have had to move things up a little too fast, uh, and I wasn't comfortable with it based on you know what I wanted to accomplish this summer. And I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is I'm at a, I'm at a point in my career now, I'm 27 turning 28 in September to where I have to think long term. I have to think about the miles I'm putting on my body, how I'm specifically training. And if, you know, I really wanted to fly to China again, you know, fly to Australia, fly to California, be in Las Vegas, do those types of things now or train the way I want to be able to go to my grandma's birthday, be able to celebrate my fiance's um, grandma's 90th birthday. Those things that I miss out on all the time, like we talked about being present and being available, I felt like this was a great time for me to be able to have a kids camp in my hometown again, spend time with family, work out, still plan it accordingly, and be able to be ready for next season. I mean, everybody's different. I mean, everybody's got different reasons for right. playing, not playing. How much to that this tournament is really right up against training camp? If this had been the, it's the FIBA World Cup right. in China, you know, it's starts the last day of August. Now there's a training camp. There's a tour through California, Australia. If this thing was happening in August and then you had most of September off, do you think the roster would look different? I think if it was moved up earlier, if it wasn't so much travel between, if it wasn't so close to the September 30 deadline, a lot of guys would have been more likely to do it. But I think the, the other thing that changes, the state of the NBA is different than it's been in a long time. There's a lot of teams competing for a championship now. You know, every year it's different based on who's the favorites and what's open, what's not open, team movement, roster movement, et cetera. But I think everybody feels like they have a chance and they want to put their best foot forward. And I think for, for Damon, I talked to D about it throughout the process. And once I went on a vacation, I really thought about what I wanted to do. And it was an easy decision for me. And I, I, I hit him and I was like, yo, bro, I'm, I'm about to pull out. Like, I just wanted to let you know, try to see what, you, what you're thinking, but I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. <laughs> if, if they had said to you, Hey, CJ, if you play this summer, we have a spot for you on the Olympic team next year, but we need you to play this summer. Does that change your thinking? If they would have guaranteed me a spot on the Olympic roster, I would play it. I wonder when you, when you look at, the players, there's two tiers of players. Anthony Davis and James Harden were on the roster. If they want to be on the Olympic team next year, they'll probably be able to be on the Olympic team. Right. They don't have to play this summer to make it. If it's you, um, we'll go through the list of some others. 
without a promise of making the Olympic team. And if next year, you know, if Kyrie Irving decides he wants to play, if uh, Steph Curry wants to play, if right. Cl- whoever it is, and you say in your mind, no matter what I do this summer, I'm probably not making that team. There's a group of players like you in that way. So maybe you guys don't play because you know it's not going to help you next year. And the other guys don't play because they know they're going to be able to go to the Olympics. I think that factored into a lot of guys' decision-making. I think for me it was it was double-edged sword. I, I really wanted to rest. I really wanted to work on specific things. I wanted to be around my family more than I have been in past summers. Um, and I felt like not doing USAB allowed me to do that. Also, like everybody wants to represent their country. Everybody wants to play in the Olympics and do those things. But for me, it's like what's the point of me going to play in these games? What's the point of me going to, you know, what is it, 13 games, 26, 27 practices? You know, all that's great, but I get paid by the Portland Trailblazers. My job is to be ready to play from September to, to hopefully June. So anything could happen during that time frame. And as I said before, like this is the, this is the season where I played the least amount of games as a full-time starter in my career. So I had to be strategic with my planning and thinking. And then also having the foresight to understand that, like you said, if Kawhi wants to play on the Olympic team, he's making the roster. Right. LeBron, Steph, James, the list goes on and on. It's 12 spots. Am I going to go waste my bullets, <laughs> so to speak, now and then be tired and dragging throughout the regular season to not make the Olympic roster? Or do I just roll the dice and say, hey, I want to be as, as good as possible for my regular season? And then in the event that I want to revisit this next summer and they give me the opportunity, right. I take it. Here's another theory I heard from a coach of a player who could have been there this summer wasn't, said, I don't think as players start to pull out, and there's questions about whether this team will win the gold medal. Do you want to be the face of this team this summer if the team loses, if you don't win? Because no one's going to pay, no one's going to pay attention very closely to the FIBA tournament with college football and NFL starting unless what happens? You don't win it. Right. And that some guys like, hey, I don't want to be the face of this thing if it gets sideways. I think looking at the workload, I, I had told them I wasn't playing in – July, beginning of July. I think even before my, my fiance's birthday, July 5th, like they knew I wasn't playing. I had my agent reach out. It got announced later. Chris Haynes hit me and asked me, and I told him, I was like, yeah, I pulled out like a month ago. Like they knew. They just didn't release it. So the wave kept going. Like everybody, like AD, Brad, like everybody was dropping out. Dame eventually dropped out. Like I was out before them. Like I, them, their decision didn't affect me. I was thinking yep. about me. I was thinking about the Portland Trailblazers and my family. I think other guys looked at it like, uh, why would I want to go? potentially be the face of a, of a, what could be a losing roster or the workload part. Yeah. If we all play, the workload is less. 20, 25 minutes, you're getting blowouts, whatever. You're moving on. A lot of guys don't play. Your minutes might go up. Your usage might go up. That affects your summer as you head into March when that, that crash comes. You know, that pre-January is when the crash comes before All-Star break. And then after All-Star break, guys start to break down in March, April. Those extra miles in the summertime, I already lead the league in miles or close to it every year. Like, I don't want to run around in Australia, run around in China, and then come back and have to get ready for the season when I could be strategically planning my workload, taking the breaks that I need, getting my, my proper rest and work to where I peak at the right time. You said you are paid by the Portland Trailblazers, which includes now new three-year, $100 million extension. Your total deal now, five years $157 million. You know, when people get jobs and they're deciding on it, they get a calculator out right? and they divide it by 52 and say, what do I make a week? 
Do, do you do that when you do a deal? Do you pull a calculator out anymore? I don't, honestly. I didn't pull the calculator out, but uh, people have told me what I would make in a game, or like people do like seconds, <laughs> minutes, hours, days, and it's it's a blessing to be in this position. And you know, I'll be remiss if I didn't shout out my agent Sam Goldfeder. You know, Neil did a great job of you know putting together a deal for us, and, and I'm happy with it. I think the organization, the city is happy, and we can continue to grow together but i mean that's that's an amazing accomplishment for a guy who went to lehigh university um a guy who came out of canton ohio and had dreams and aspirations to play in the nba and now he's here he's making an impact and now he knows he's going to be in the city um for five more years and and i think this is pretty unique in this day and age look at here's your resume cj one high school one college where you stayed for four years and number one didn't transfer to north carolina which you could have done almost did you could have left early. You didn't. You stayed. So one college, four years at Lehigh, one team in the NBA. You've had one president slash GM. You've had one coach. Um, you've had one backcourt mate, Damon Lillard. Right. You've had one agent, Sam Goldfeder. Uh, this bodes well for your fiance, right? <laughs> this bodes well. Yeah. What is What does that say about you? I'm a loyal person, man. I believe in doing things the right way. I believe in treating people the way you want to be treated and, and reciprocating love in certain circumstances and situations. Looking at what I've been through to get to this point, I understand the journey it took me to get here. I wasn't C.J. McCollum, you know, four or five, six years ago. I was a work in progress. I probably was Christian James more so my rookie year to where I was hurt. I was trying to figure out the plays, trying to figure out is he a two, is he a one, is he a combo, how's coach going to use me, how many minutes am I going to play, Fracture my uh, index finger on my shooting hand again. We trade for Anna follow. I'm getting DMPs. I'm thinking, like, geez, like, when am I going to get my chance to play, to playing against Memphis then being a full-time starter my third year? I've been through a lot, and I've grown with this city. I've grown with this organization. I've grown with Neil. I've grown with Sam. I've grown with my fiancé. I've grown with Dame. And I've been able to kind of put things together to where it's like, this is this is my family. This is my home. I pay taxes here. I bought a home here. I'm probably going to buy another home here. I'm probably going to raise a family here. I'm going to buy a dog here. You know what I mean? All of those things that you start to think about, like, why would I want to leave that? Like, why would I try to search for something better when my whole life, what I've had has been enough? You talked about this being a different NBA season and that there are a lot of teams who can legitimately make the case, we could win it this year. We could get to the finals. Right. And we could go through the list in the West. I think one through five – Maybe maybe six. Could you could they could make a case? They go into training camp thinking there's there's a pathway for us. Your team's coming off the conference Western Conference Finals. On paper, you can make the case you've improved the team. You kept Rodney Hood. You trade for Hassan Whiteside. You'll get Yusuf Nurkic back off of uh, uh, a, a serious injury, and you have a couple young players and uh, Anthony Simons who could be you know a very good player. He takes maybe some of Seth Curry's. Minutes and, and a really promising young player, and you, then you, you hope for health. But in a year where, you know, there's going to be newness with the Lakers and newness with the Clippers, and certainly the Jazz have added to their roster, Houston's got a lot to figure out moving Chris Paul out, bringing in Russell Westbrook. Continuity in Portland, like that, is that for you guys? Is that the pathway? We have a group that's been through a lot together. We've kept adding to it. We've stayed with it. Same coach, same culture. Like, that's the case we make to win this thing. Yeah, I think it matters. You look at the Warriors. You look at how they've been able to sustain greatness for so long, the team that swept us. 
<laughs> consistently has, has swept us. But you look at what they've been able to do, keeping Draymond, they re-sign him, sign Clay this summer, sign Steph. They keep their core together. Obviously, they've had some changes within the rotation, and we've had some changes. But I think having your core together with a culture, with an understanding of what it takes to win, who's been through some tough losses, I think that helps and that changes your perspective and your mindset to where when you get to April and you're down 2-1, you don't panic. You don't start to point the finger. You don't play the blame game because you've already been through a sweep to the Pelicans. You've been through multiple sweeps to the Warriors, and you also had success and had multiple 15-win seasons and been projected to not make the playoffs in one forty-nine games. So you know what it's like to see both sides of the spectrum. I think that now that we have that, we've gone through a lot, we'll be ready to go this season. We don't need people to talk about us. We don't need people to, to boost us or people to, to talk down on us. It doesn't matter to us. We just want to go lock in, win as many games as possible, and build on what we did last season. That Oklahoma City series, it was, I think it was meaningful on a lot of levels. It was getting out of the first round. It was a team that you were always sort of being compared to. Like, you know, Paul George had really had his way with you guys when he was healthy. He had fought through that in the regular season. And then you win it in a real dramatic way with, with Dame's shot. How did that series propel you guys and, and, did it sort of change the way even you felt about yourselves? We knew what it was going to take to win, and there was no doubt in my mind we were going to get through that series and, and, be, and be as competitive as possible based on what we went through that summer. That was a rough summer. That was a tough. That was one of the tougher summers I've had from a understanding of what we could have accomplished. We were right there. Get You get a high seed, you're at home, you lose home court, and you get swept. It's embarrassing. And I think it changed our mentality to where – we knew we had to get better individually, collectively, bring it together. And for Dame and I, we talked about it. This is the year we got to really put something together because of what happened last year and how we don't want that to be a lingering, lasting effect on our legacy. And looking at this series, people talked about how we hadn't won in regular season, and that's important. But the regular season, there's a lot of factors, back-to-backs, not really focusing in, understanding that you got another game the next night, and – they beat the brakes off of us in the regular season. But we knew. It was like, all right, this is a seven-game series. We're preparing for this. We have a, a scouting report in place, and we know how to attack this team. We know how to attack teams in general in the playoffs because of the fact that we've seen every type of coverage possible. So for us, it was simple. I told D, we got to win the battle. we got to win the battle between Russ and PG. we got to outplay them as much as possible, offensively, defensively, be engaged. And then we got to empower our teammates to where they feel like we can win. And once, once we got to that point, the series was over in our mind. You know, it's funny. A year ago, someone could have made the case when you get swept by New Orleans, they could disassemble your team right. because you beat Oklahoma City soundly. And that was the end of their run. They had gotten knocked out in the first round two straight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, essentially, Paul George was ready to move on and, and Russ was ready to move on. And I think they felt we've gone as far as we can go here. It is a fine line in this league of being able to hold it together right. and go forward or if you had lost in the first round again this year, do you think you and Dame are signing those extensions? If we had lost in the first round again, I think there would have been a lot of changes within our organization, um, not just players. I think that with the state and status of the league right now, like where it's at with the turnaround, how quick things can change, a great year can turn into a bad year, and then people hit the switch. You know, we talked about it offline on how you know some days the owner might wake up and want to fire a coach just because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed or because of a, a Jerk, knee-jerk reaction to something that happened. I think a lot of things would have changed. You look at the Oklahoma City Thunder. What happens if they beat us? What happens if they get to the Western Conference Finals? 
Russ and PG probably stay together. Kawhi probably stays in Toronto. It's like a domino effect. A lot of things happen to where you never know. You never know what could happen, honestly. People don't factor in enough of like of luck. And I and that wasn't luck. You you pounded Oklahoma City in that series. But how much circumstance plays into the dominoes in this league of how everything goes? Yeah, it's it does. Everything everything plays a role and it has a cause and effect. You look at our series, obviously, we played well. We kind of bounced back. You know, give kudos to, to Neil and our front office and our organization and our ownership, uh, Jody. All of them, you know, looking at our roster saying, you know, you know what? This this group can win. This group can sustain greatness. This group can get over the hump. You know, the late Mr. Allen having confidence and faith to not only draft two mid-major players but extend them not once but twice. You know what I mean? That's a That takes a certain type of culture that he helped develop and – Looking at the rest of the NBA, a lot, a lot can change in a, in a day. A lot can change in a week, not just from free agency, but from tough wins and tough losses. And you look at the Lakers now, um, looking at you know LeBron being there, AD being there, him kind of forcing his way. Then you look at the Warriors. What happens if KD doesn't get hurt? What happens if Clay doesn't get hurt? That kind of changes the perspective and, and situation, not only in Golden State but in Toronto and for the rest of the league. When it's free agency. And you look at the other elite teams in the West, and you're seeing how is this all going to look? Where's KD going to be? Where's Kawhi going? Paul George thing kind of snuck up on people. When Kawhi Leonard's making his decision, I've gotten this sense from other players, I think a lot of people in the league, that everybody was a little bit of holding their breath that he would not go to the Lakers because if you wanted to have a competitive environment in the West – that probably wasn't the way to do it. What, what was your reaction when you saw the news that instead of the big three and L with the Lakers, it, it, it's two stars with the Clippers? I ain't going to lie, man. I, I was in Cabo living my best life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't really as involved in the process as I would normally be because normally I'm on my phone and I'm following it. But deep down, I was hoping he didn't go there. I was looking at the roster. I was looking at what they were putting together. And um, you want to be – in a position to to win championships, to to make long runs, and looking at that roster, they would have been a serious problem. You know, you you got LeBron already a problem. You got AD, you're a super problem. Now you add him, and it becomes like a, a World War Two type of situation where they got they got the they got the grenades, they got the atomic bombs <laughs> all in one, and guys who can play both sides of the ball. So I was I was relieved. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's good. At least he didn't go to the Lakers. Um, but I woke up to it because I was asleep. I was going to sleep at like 9 p.m. Um, in Cabo, my brother texted me. He was like, I knew, I knew Kawhi wasn't built like that. <laughs> and like, you know, basically compliment him saying that he wanted to go against them as opposed to the joining forces. And I mean, you can't knock a guy. A guy has the right to do whatever he yeah. wants to do. You can only hope, you know, for certain situations that they have avoid certain teams. The other thing too, I think what would have happened and we would have been as guilty. We would have probably been most guilty of it at ESPN, but. If Kawhi's with the Lakers, there's one team and then there's 29 others. The, the focus on one team this year would have been, I think, unlike anything we've seen because anything with the Lakers is amplified. It just is the, mm-hmm. it's the way this league, the, the popularity they have right. here all over the world. And it was going to be big with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, but I think it would have almost rendered, no matter what you were doing in any other market or city, I don't know how much – at least the people in our business were going to pay attention to it. I do think now it is 
I think because there's so many teams, like we said, who can make a case. Right. Just the attention, like they're not going to suck all the air out of the room. Yeah, and I think any team LeBron's on is going to have a high focus and a high level of media scrutiny and attention. They're going to criticize. They're going to praise. They're going to go back and forth. You know, there's always that. You know, he's great, but then he's not this. But it's like LeBron has sustained greatness longer than anyone we've ever seen. But the attention always comes to him. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. And then you add AD to that team, and then there's more attention. So adding Kawhi would have been, like you said before, it would have been the Lakers' championship to lose, quote-unquote, according to the media and according to most who are, are fans of the game. So um, I think it will definitely be more spread out. Uh, teams will be – teams and fans and – uh, people who just like the game in general will be more inclined to watch, you know, different types of games. I'm a league pass junkie, so I look forward to watching um, a lot of different teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, seeing Kimba in Boston, seeing some of those changes that were made, Kyrie obviously being in Brooklyn. Um, there's a lot of games I look forward to watching. Like Atlanta is going to be one of my league pass favorites, all those young guys. Uh, it would be fun to watch them and, and see how ET integrates with them. But you're right. The league, it's it's good for the league to have this many good teams who have a chance at winning the championship. Yeah, and it, and I think now just the decision that KD made and Kawhi Leonard made, the, the super team. Like right. if KD stays in Golden State, if Kawhi goes to the Lakers, you you, you have that super team. And I got in the sense, and, and I think I talked and re- wrote a little bit about it beforehand, that a couple of GMs who were involved in this free agency felt we were about to see the end of it, that nobody really wants to be the third guy anymore, that it costs you – whether it's in lots of ways that being the third guy, there, there's a cost to it. And, and you saw it in the decisions that were made. Do you think it's dumb luck or do you think there's something to that, that the way it's spread out around the league is is just the way this thing has cycled and how guys view that role? I think it's a combo. I think some guys don't mind being the third guy in the right situation, the right environment to where – you may sacrifice touches, you may sacrifice money, but you're winning, so you're happy. And then some guys do those things, they win, and they're still not happy, and then that's when they understand, like, yeah, i got to get out of this situation. I think the other side of it is certain guys just started choosing markets they like, teams they like, players they wanted to be around, and didn't care about the money. You look at Jimmy Butler, took less money essentially, but he went to a tax-free state. If he stays in Minnesota, who had his – I think they had his bird rights at one point. Yeah, no. They, if he stays there, he makes more money. Kawhi turned down a boatload of money leaving San Antonio, yep. then leaving Toronto. So you get to the point to where, guys, the money is whatever. It, it become, You become numb to the money. And that's what the owners misjudged. I think they thought when they um, implemented the Supermax, especially right. for, the, for the star player, the, the great player, and the fact that you, know, you can make more staying where you are than going somewhere else, that that was going to de-incentivize leaving, uh, players moving, and it hasn't impacted it at all. I think they really misjudged that. Yeah, they misjudged it. And you have to, you figure your neighborhood's not changing. You look at some of the money these guys are making, and I'm not one to count people's money, but endorsements, all the things that go into that. And then you talk about a seven to 10 year player who's been in the league long enough to have saved to where he's just like, look, my happiness is more important than all of this. You got AD who weighed $4 million guaranteed. I mean, I'm sure he'll make it back on endorsements and just being in the LA market, but that's $4 million he waived so they could sign another player to make the roster better. I mean, you, you talk about you and Damon and, and the happiness that you have in Portland. You guys, you're not content. You, you like being there. You're, you, you want to win and right. you believe you can win there. And I think that was part of why both of you have stayed and you've won a lot there. Right. 
but there is not a lot of happiness in the league. And do you think we are in a time where we are going to see, listen, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are on two-year deals. And the Clippers, we may be right back into this. What if it doesn't go great this year? All of a sudden we're one year from now and we're starting to talk about that again. Is that the reality of the NBA, shorter deals and guys who just are going to keep moving? Yeah, it's going to be like 2K. I think shorter deals, I think guys are going to be moving teams more often, especially as they get closer to 10 years because they got that age and that veteranship to know where they want to play at. Family situation obviously always plays a role. Where's your significant other want to play? How old are your kids? Because you have to move all of them in most cases. So I think you'd look at the circumstances of the situation where guys are like, look, if, if I'm going to play in the NBA, I want to be happy. I want to be in a city that makes me happy. I want to be with teammates that make me happy. I want to be with the right organization. So guys are going to, you're going to see guys start to choose happiness over a lot of different things, which means I think there's definitely going to be more movement to come. And you look at the free agency class that I was going to be in before I signed the extension. There's a lot of big dogs who are going to be up and it'll be interesting to see. Big Domino will be Giannis. You know, does he want to stay 270 million? Or does he go where the grass may or may not be greener? I think you just have to look at the situation and circumstances and how successful the team is before they become a free agent. Mike Conley and I uh, talked at Summer League about this. And, you know, he talked about when he and Marcus Saw grew up in Memphis as NBA players, that they looked at the Spurs and emulated, they looked at Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan and Tony Parker and said, well, well that's who we want to be like and we want to win it here. Th- that was the role models they had as as players and and they wanted to stay together and you know Mike said hey the guys who are coming up in the league now that's not the role model anymore they're they're growing up seeing guys moving and that example's not there in Portland it is and they can see it with you two right. uh but mostly it's the, the Spurs aren't the model anymore it takes a rare type of individual to be able to lock in have focus, really enjoy their job in certain cities. You know, certain cities guys can't play in. Guys can't have great careers in certain cities, and it's just because of the type of player, type of person they are. There's certain cities that I'm glad I wasn't drafted to when I was a rookie. Mm -hmm. And there's certain cities to where maybe it's not enough going on for the guy. He wants to to live a certain type of life off the court. So, I mean, everybody is different, but for me it was simple. I enjoy – I enjoy being able to to go to wineries. I enjoy being able to lock in at my job. And I think Portland's the type of city, I always say it, whatever you do for a living, you're going to be very good at it in Portland. You have time to do it. Nightlife is to a minimal. You have great restaurants. You have great people, great fan support, great wine. But it's not for everybody. In L.A. is not for everybody. Miami's not for everybody. So I think it's this age now to where you have younger generations of guys coming into the league to where you think about Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's a great young player. He's going to be a free agent soon. I'm sure Utah's going to offer him the whole Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. He was sitting in on the decision for LeBron. He was there as a kid, That's as right. a fan, as club. a spectacle at the Boys Club, and now he's in the NBA. So this is the type of generation where you got 23, 24-year-old stars who first impressions of the NBA besides Jordan and AI is LeBron going to Miami. The NBA competition committee, GMs, coaches, they get together, they talk about rule changes. Um, on the court, some off the court, they put you in that group, CJ, and you said, I wish we would change this in the league, whether it's an on-the-court rule, something else. What what would you change? 
That's a good question. Um, I think looking at everything that we have a great league, you know, the travel combinations they're making, shortening them back to back, shortening three and four, four and five. I think they're very, very cognizant of that. They've hired scientists and people to kind of study our travel and kind of compare that to our bodies, the effects it's having in the injuries. I think they've done a great job of, of paying attention to everything. I think from a, a player standpoint, um, I think a lot of people aren't happy with the rookie deals being locked in on a scale, locked into a rookie deal for so long. You got certain players who have a certain level of talent that is above the pay grade they're at now. So I think that's something that they could potentially tighten up. I think, um, now that's collective bargaining. That's like, that's right. the union, right? That's us. That's, that's, what, that's, what you've got to go in and, like, yeah, you got to negotiate and there needs to be able to meet us halfway. How about with officiating? How the league's officiated? Um, what, what is allowed that shouldn't be allowed or something that they need to crack down more on? I think, I mean, I don't go to the free throw line a lot. I average like 2.7 attempts a game. So, um, I would like to go to the free throw line more. Um, but I have to do a better job of selling fouls, but I think it, the, the referees are put in a tough spot. There's some really great referees and there's some average referees, just like there is in the NBA. Mm-hmm. There's really great players and there's average and we all make mistakes and I'm sure they make mistakes too, because I've seen it. But it's a it's a thin line between what guys you can talk to and what guys you can't talk to. That's become such a a change in the league that there were referees from a different generation who would talk players. There were some they, they had relationships. They knew each other, right. and it seemed like the league over time I think wanted less of that conversation with officials. That they were taught more to not have that running dialogue. I mean, even in your career, your time in the NBA. Have you seen it change? Are they harder to speak to? Does it seem like they're they're almost it's almost legislated to sort of keep their distance from you? I think it just depends on the referee. I'm not going to group them all together, mm-hmm. but for me personally, I mean, I have a good relationship with them because I don't say much. So when I do say something, they know like, okay, we got to we got to pay attention to this because CJ doesn't really say much. He doesn't really complain. He's not really trying to have. I don't really talk. I don't have much conversation with them. So when I do, they respect and understand. But then you got guys who complain every possession. So then it's like, don't talk to me. And I get it because the guy is complaining. He's saying he's fouled. He wasn't fouled. He's saying he didn't foul when he clearly fouled. And you watch the replay and you're like, why are you complaining? Like we watched you smack his hand. So I think it's a, it's a fine balance between guys who complain too much and it, it makes it worse for some of the other guys because then the refs don't want to talk to anybody because it's like, look, you guys are complaining the entire game and I get it. So it's just finding that fine balance. And I think as, as my career has gone on, there's been more, more of a point of emphasis in how to speak to the referees because how you speak to them can dictate the rest of that game and the rest of your career. And a lot of times guys speak to them the right way and sometimes they speak to them in a, in a tone to where I wouldn't want to talk to you either if you talk yeah. to me like that. Well, you know, there's a, the referees will tell you that there are things players can say to them now that there was a time where they would have gotten suspended by the league office for what they say, and now it's not punished, and that they feel under siege. You buy that? Eh. In some cases. I'm sure in some cases mm-hmm. guys say some filthy things mm-hmm. and disrespectful things. You're in the heat of the moment. You're playing a game where your livelihood's on the line, and you may feel like you were slighted. You may feel like... The referee is too cool for school. And there are some referees that won't admit to being wrong. And there are some referees that, like, I'll say, hey, you missed this. Check this at halftime. They'll watch it. They'll say, my bad. I missed that one. You're right. And I'll be like, you owe me one. And they'll be like, no, nah, I don't owe you one, but I'll admit that I was wrong. So there's there's both of those. 
you have some referees who admit they're wrong and some referees who just will not admit they were wrong, and that's a problem. But you also have some players who've created these monsters to where they've been verbally abusive, they've made gestures at them, they've waved them off or flicked them off or whatever to where they felt disrespected as a man, I think, or a woman in some cases. I think that's when you have a problem to where we scarred them and they scarred us, and now it's a big issue. Is it important to learn the first? Do you use the first name of refs when you address them? Are you taught to do that? Yeah, uh, our team is different in a sense that we, we pay attention to all the small things. We have the names of referees going into games, things of that nature, to where we quiz our rookies. Terry does a great job of making sure they know the referees' names, um, so that way when you go into a game, it's not Mister Referee or Hey Ref. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a respect level. They should know your name. And you should know their name. And if you don't ask, because we get the rotation is crazy, getting new referees every night. We talked about your path here, CJ. I think your draft in 2013 is one of the most interesting for a lot of different reasons. You were the 10th pick in 2013 out of Lehigh. Do you remember the nine in front of you? <laughs> yeah, AB was my guy. He went number one to the Cavs. Anthony Bennett. Anthony, uh, didn't work out great. Victor Oladipo, mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. Three is Alex Lenz, uh, Phoenix Suns. Oh, no, Otto Porter. Yes. Uh, DC. Four was Alex Lenz. Cody Zeller, four. Cody Zeller, four. Then Alex, Alex Lenz, five. five. Nerland, six. Yep. Seven, Ben McLemore. Yes. Eight, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Mm-hmm. Nine, Trey Burke. I know you're going to remember that one. Trey Burke, who was traded to Utah. Yes. And then me, Michael Carter-Williams, 11. Steven Adams, 12. Steven Adams, 12. Giannis? Giannis was 16 Giannis or was 13? 15. 15. Right? Think of that. Two drafts. Let's see. Kawhi Leonard was, what, 2011 draft? Yeah. And this was two, two drafts where the 15th pick became uh, very good. A superstar. Beyond a superstar, right? Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo was 15th in your draft. If we were to redraft your draft, because then you go behind you. So you have Giannis at 15. You go back. Um, Hardaway Jr. still. Hardaway Jr. at 24. Reggie Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Gobert at 27. Uh, and then after that. So if you're going to redraft it, Giannis Atenacupo, Rudy Gobert. I'm not putting him in an order. I'm just saying that he got right. Rudy. Um, Victor Oladipo, Vic. right? Um, you, Steven Adams. You know, then Kelly Olynyk's had a good career. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, and this is rare too, three seniors in that draft. you remember who the other two seniors were? You don't see seniors in the first round anymore. Jeez, seniors. Yep, they were back-to-back, Mason Plumley and Solomon oh, Hill. Oh, Solo. Yeah, Solo yep. was late first. So what? you're a GM. You can go back and redraft. What, what, what's your top five? I would take Giannis one. Mm-hmm. So Giannis would have went to the Cavs. Yep. Who had the second pick? Was that Orlando? Orlando. Orlando, did they need a guard? And they, and they took Victor Oladipo. Yeah. I think they thought he was That's best not available. a bad pick. No, it was a good pick. Three was Otto. Otto Porter, yeah. So three would be, I think they probably needed a big. No, I'm not doing it by position. We're, like, we're you're gonna, doing it you're by gonna, player. You're doing it by talent. Okay, I would do Giannis one. Mm-hmm. Um, Either Vic or Gobert two. Mm-hmm. Um. I would probably put me like four. I would go four a second because three was Otto Porter, right? Yeah. You probably I'd move him back behind you guys. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's 
Most guys would just put themselves one. I give you credit. You no, know. Giannis. I would draft, if, yeah. if I was redrafting. If yeah. I was a GM, I would take Giannis one, and I would take me either two or four. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it. But you can throw three bigs in there. You can throw them in there consecutively. Basically, you could go Vic, and then you could go Rudy, Stephen Adams, myself, and yeah. And and you look at like 11. this is pretty rare. Four, five, six. Zeller, Len, Noel, Mclemore. Caldwell Pope, Trey Burke, in front four to nine. I mean, some of those guys are barely in the league. They're on minimum deals. You know, Cody's had a solid career, a lot of you know, some injuries, and Charlotte and um, other guys are like should be on their second contracts or minimum guys. It's 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 crazy it's how not, inexact the thing is. It's not where you're drafted, and I think it's funny because when I got drafted ten, I looked at all the tenth picks: Paul Pierce, mm-hmm. uh, Dirk, Paul George, ten. No, I don't think he was that late. I think Nash was like thirteen. You know what? Dirk was wasn't Dirk in the Pierce draft, and he was ninth. He was yeah. ahead of him, or maybe yeah. one. Ahead. Yeah. So I looked at all those guys, and I was like, "All right, I want to be a guy that gets drafted ten that people can remember." And hopefully, when I retire, I'm like a guy that they mentioned as one of the best picks at number ten. When we went through the list of CJ McCollum loyalty, I left off maybe the most loyal part of your life, the Cleveland Browns. Yes, like. Yes. LeBron grew up in Akron, sort of became a Cowboy fan. Right. I bet you had a lot of friends who were just like, the Browns suck. I'm not rooting for these guys. I'm going to go pick who's good. But you you have remained a Browns fan, and now will, will this be rewarded? We are getting rewarded this year, man. And it's crazy because people that know me know I've been a Browns fan forever since the pre-couch Pre, I mean, pre, like even Jim Brown, like although like I wasn't alive <laughs> for that run, like I, I've loved them forever, like historically. So the, to see how good they can be now, winning seven games last year, I was hype. You know, once we started Baker, once we brought in, you know, some new pieces, you know, Juice, um, et cetera, we drafted well, getting, getting Chubbs. I was excited about it. And then we add OBJ and the cast of others defensively were great. Um, this is, this is the year I think we win 10 games, um, get to the playoffs and make some real noise and, it's a reward for being loyal when all my friends were leaving. You know, my brother stayed loyal. Jeremy, shout out to my guy, J-Man. He stayed loyal. Not a lot of guys that stayed loyal to the Cleveland Browns um, in my era. So I'm happy to see it. And it's funny because when I was getting sweet prices last year versus sweets uh, on this season and how opening night sold out, all these games were sold out, but I'm still going to probably get to two or three games. It's crazy how many people bought tickets early instead of waiting till last minute. So you'll get to some games in September. Yeah, I went to three last year. I'll get to – I'll probably go Browns-Rams um, on the 22nd. I'm going Monday night uh, in, in uh, against the Jets here. Um, I'm working on tickets to at San Francisco the day before we play the Nuggets in a preseason game. I'll probably get a suite, take some of the guys out. Uh, that'll be three, and I might – opening night against the Titans. It's asked me to speak to the rookies, but I don't think I can – I don't think I can make it because i got a photo shoot in L.A. Have you gone in and talked to Brown players before, like like where the team brought you in? No, I haven't. But this is I, your first invite. To yeah, do this that. is my first invite. But I get invited to training camp um, pretty consistently, and I talked to a lot. I, I went and talked to Juice on the field. Um, I talked to Demarius Randall. I talked to a lot of those guys, um, and, and we cool. And they they need to come on the podcast. Uh, Juice, all of y'all need to come. It's on the It's not podcast. easy. Shake and it's not it. So the pull up pod we talked about it. At the beginning, just named one of Esquire Magazine's top 15 sports podcasts of 2019. So appreciate it, man. Congratulations, thank you, on that. But you do it like 52 weeks in a year. 
you're doing 40 plus podcasts. That's a lot. It's a lot of guests. It is not. And you think, Hey, listen, I'll be my own booker, right? I'm going right. to, I've got relationships with the guys and it's a different world, man. It's a different world depending on the athlete. As an athlete, I appreciate the people who are punctual on time, who live up to their commitments. I appreciate it. And for those of you that don't, it's okay. We can build on this. We can work together and figure it out. But it is hard to book guests, um, especially when you got schedules. It's, it's easier to deal with certain people, um, but it's hard to deal with a lot of athletes directly because their schedule is constantly changing. They forget. The phones are flooded. Lots of messages. So um, I'm really looking forward to expanding and getting into the, the – variety of guests i had i had uh my guy on from the chicago white Sox, tim anderson um i've had a lot of different guests on to where i want to venture into the rap world and, and start to get a lot of different guys you and jj reddick and, and jj started podcasting uh with us back when i was at uh yahoo and the, the one thing that you two have really in common and you listen you you are a journalism major you had a natural um, and it's curiosity. And that's why I thought JJ would be good at it. And his pod has been tremendous. And why yours is so good is because you have to have a curiosity about people. And I think people ask like, to me, that's more important than almost anything else right. in, in doing one of these. Yeah. You got to be curious. You have to be comfortable with people criticizing you. You got to be more cognizant of your words, what you say, because I had kids in my kids camp who are 5 to 16, who listen to my podcast on their morning drive with their parents. So when I have certain guests on who use certain words, I have to be cognizant of that because of the age and amount of people that are listening. So I think it's cool to hear people like that stop me in the street and say, hey, I'm listening to your podcast right now and show me. It's a different type of feeling because when you're first doing it, you're like, I wonder who really wants to hear me speak. And then you hear how your voice sounds and you go through this psychological thing to where like I sound weird. And uh, eventually it grows and you get more comfortable with talking and sharing your opinions on things. And it is a great time. And then what was the KD post KD episode last year? The first time, like you got dragged into it with your pod. Yeah, that was fun though. We had a good time, you know, messing with that. And, you know, KD and I are good friends. So I've known him for a while and, and we could talk behind the scenes. And then, you know, he, I gave him a lot of wine for, for those episodes and <laughs> he gave me some great ratings. So, uh, we'll get him, we'll get him back on at some point. I actually need to hit his line. It's been a little while to tap in with him, but that, that was a great episode and, um, it was a favor for a favor. He did a favor for me and then I went on the boardroom the next year. Yeah. Well, listen, CJ, your pod has been tremendous. Congrats again on the success of that new three year, $100 million extension and a Blazers team that is maybe on paper could be as good as you played on. Uh, thanks for jumping in here no with problem. me. Great great to see you here in the city. Good to be on, man. You need me anytime, and I'll make time for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, Portland Trailblazers guard C.J. McCollum. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your shows. We'll catch you next time.